disaster coming at ya. Back and back at ya. Say it with master coming at ya. Coming at ya. Bounce down disaster coming at ya. Back and back at ya. Say it with master coming at ya. And with that beat, hello and welcome to In Focus. I'm Romka Yozu, your host. So this week we're celebrating International Moon Day. So stick around. This show will be literally out of this world. In today's show, we are welcoming a distinguished member of the World Future Studies Federation, WFSF, to help us make sense of the role of the moon in our collective conscience. So let's get going. And before we get started, let me say a few words about our show. All righty. So this show is a result of a partnership between WFSF and yours truly, Futures Television. We're joining forces to advance sharing of information and knowledge of futures topics. Our focus is on future studies, foresight, and futures literacy. So what should you expect? Well, you gain direct access to knowledge and information produced by the top minds in this field. WFSF is a UNESCO and a UN consultative partner, and truly a global NGO with members in over 60 countries. Today, we have a top sci-fi lecturer from the Center of Future Consciousness who will be helping us mark the International Moon Day. What should you expect to gain from this show? Well, today we take a trip to the moon together. Uh, Dr. Tom Lombardo will help us understand how science fiction looked at the moon from the beginning of recorded history to our days. We will look at some of the most important works of art in both written and in film format. What were people thinking? How were we supposed to get there? Would anyone welcome us? How do we get back? Okay. So the moon has been a object of desire for the longest. So let's join in in this conversation with Tom. So let me say a few words about Tom Lombardo. So Dr. Lombardo is an executive board member and fellow at World Future Studies Federation. He's the editor of the journal Future Studies and director at the Center for Future Consciousness. He is also the author of several books on a variety of science fiction topics, and among them, The Evolutionary Mythology of the Future, The Evolution of Futures Consciousness, Contemporary Futures Thought, among others. Futures Television often features his talks, and today we, jo we join the sci-fi extraordinaire on a trip to the moon, literally. So, folks, uh, let's welcome Dr. Lombardo to the show. Hi, Tom. How are you doing today? Good. How are you today, Rob? <laughs> well, it's warm. We're both in Phoenix, so we're going to have yes. fun talking. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I was thinking when you asked me. Uh, I had in my mind the moon, but if you walk outside, it's the blazing <laughs> sun, which overpowers your consciousness at 110 to 112 degrees. It right. is. It, it is hard to think about the moon when we're living in Phoenix at 150 degrees or, or thereabouts. The moon does come out here at night, and the moon can be very mesmerizing, yes, at night, yes. Yeah, but, but it's still at 100 degrees at night, so we're looking at the moon, and it's not really cool. It's hot for us. 
Yes, it's very hot. Yes, yes, yes. At least during the summer. Well, during the summer. Well, we can have our fun looking at the moon any time of day or night. Like at least, at least only during the night. You know? yeah. Unless you're on the other side of the world. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, yeah. so let, let's get started. So, you know, it seems uh, the moon has been an object of our obsession for a very long time. So, so why is that? Is it a thing we cannot have? Well, when uh, I looked at that first question, what popped into my mind uh, about our fascination with the moon into the deep, deep past was, uh, I don't know if um, viewers are familiar with the movie uh, uh, Quest for Fire, which is actually about uh, a bunch of uh, uh, Neanderthal, early Cro-Magnon men uh, back 30, 40,000 years ago. And in the final scene, the, uh, uh, the, the male is sitting with his, uh, uh, his, his woman and she is pregnant and it's the middle of the night and he's staring up at the moon, perplexed and wondering what that object up there in the sky is. And the, the person who wrote Quest for Fire was actually a French science fiction writer, Rossi the Elder. And uh, uh, his uh, suggestion or the suggestion in the movie is that uh, from uh, way before the beginnings of recorded history, humans have looked up at the moon and wondered and been mesmerized by it and have thought about it. And in fact, um, it um, uh, can be seen as um, something that uh, uh, is mysterious and uh, beckons to be understood. Uh, it's uh, often associated with the mysterious and the spooky uh, or as something perhaps unattainable. But as we'll see in the history of science fiction, uh, uh, very early in human history, we began thinking about, recorded human history, we began thinking about how to get there. Uh, so the moon is a very powerful uh, 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 object of the sky, actually, the two dominant objects in the sky are the sun and the moon. And the moon rules at night and the, as the sun rules in the daytime. So um, throughout our history and even suggesting before recorded history, you know, we have uh, looked at the moon, uh, been enthralled and uh, hypnotized by it, have associated it with romance, with uh, uh darkness and spookiness and lots of other psychological associations. And it's been deified and often been deified as a female, uh, uh, whereas the sun is usually identified as a male uh, uh, deity. The, uh, uh, the moon is seen as a, a feminine-like, and, and that connects up with the fact that it's also associated with romance and love, uh, but also with uh, uh, danger and uh, darkness and uh, Obviously, we also know that the moon is connected up with the whole myth of werewolves and uh, that the moon can have this demonic overpowering effect on us and turn us into, uh, at least the full moon can turn us into uh, uh, ferocious and dangerous creatures if we uh, come under its power. Uh, so there's, uh, there's lots of psychological, mystical, historical uh, elements, associations with the moon for sure. Okay, so aside from religion and folklore, you know, 
and I, and you already mentioned that, but even the ancient Egyptians featured the moon in some yeah. way, shape, or form, right? But what is the earliest written evidence of the moon as like a place for us to go in our collective conscience, like destination? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I often uh, I toss out at people uh, this question. What is uh, the, the first science fiction story ever written? And if you stretch your concept of science fiction a bit, then the first science fiction story was written in the second century AD by Lucian, a Roman, called True History, which involved an imaginary trip to the moon, where the uh, humans in the uh, storyline are drawn up, they're in a sailboat, and they're drawn up by a whirlpool which pulls them all the way to the moon where they encounter lunar inhabitants on the moon. Uh, but they also get involved in the uh, first original uh, space opera of uh, a battle between inhabitants of the moon and inhabitants of the sun over who's going to control and rule uh, Venus. So we've been imagining going to the moon since at least the second century A.D., at least that's the first one that I'm aware of. There may be earlier stories even of going to the moon, but that goes back 2,000 years almost now. Well, that's quite a long time. So uh, on all those ancient stories, and you mentioned, so we on Lushin, we'll get to the moon on a boat or a sailboat, I guess. Yeah. So how would people get from here to there in, in the other stories? Was it a boat or something else or, you know, some yeah, phenomena? Uh, actually, yeah, actually, uh, there were many imagined mechanisms or forces which got us to the moon over uh, throughout uh, recorded history. Um, <clears throat> uh, another very famous story about uh, going to the moon by Johannes Kepler, which was written in the 17th century, uh, he was transported to the moon by his witch mother. So it was a kind of spiritual transformation that got him up there. But other people writing about going to the moon in the uh, 16th and 17th and 18th century, imagine getting there uh, through either um, uh, uh, giant birds, which would carry people up to the moon, or um, springs, or the power of the sun, or uh, balloons, or the wind, or... Uh, mist rising from the earth, or other kinds of apparatus. Um, uh, we don't really see the notion of going to the moon on something like a rocket or a explosively propelled object uh, uh, till we come up a little bit further in history. But people invented all kinds of ways of getting there. And it's important to understand that the moon... Um, uh, from uh, at least modern times was realized as the closest object in the sky. And it was the initial step to take in our journey into outer space. And so people took the question of how are we going to get to the moon as the first test or the first step toward imagining how could we possibly journey into outer space. Now, although Kepler imagined going to the moon 
being uh, brought up there by his witch mother, Kepler truly believed in the 17th century, we were going to figure out scientifically, technologically, ways to propel us through outer space. And in fact, he even stated that he was making maps of the sky so that the uh, uh, people of the future would have uh, knowledge of how to travel through space. He was mapping out the uh, territory for them ahead of time. Uh, so people were thinking uh, when we come up to modern times that uh, we can get to the moon. There's all different ways we could do it. Uh, and little by little, we began to develop more scientifically or technologically feasible ways. Jules Verne imagined getting to the moon using a giant cannon-propelled uh, mechanism that shot a capsule up to the moon. Um, the, the rocket doesn't come in until uh, toward the end of the uh, 19th century with the uh, Russian uh, scientist and uh, uh, science fiction writer Tilakowski, who lays out the beginnings of a theory of rocketry and how that will get us out into outer space. So yes, throughout history, we've been envisioning lots of different ways to do it. And little by little, we evolved our understanding of technology and science. So we ended up having more realistic and feasible ways in which to imagine doing it. But we're imagined doing it back uh, like with Lucian with uh, the wind blowing us up there and birds uh, propelling us up there and sunlight doing it in lots of other possible ways. It's so wonderful. So one, one curiosity here is so uh, the witch mother, the wind, uh, the sun, the, the sailboat can take you there. So how did they return back to Earth? Because they, they told the rest of the story. So do any one of those say, you know, how did they get back home or we're, we're supposed well, sometimes, to imagine? Yeah, sometimes with the same mechanism. Uh, to be comical about it, in Melier's uh, 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 first science fiction movie, uh, 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 A Trip to the Moon, uh, he imagined us getting to the moon in the movie in, in Verne's canon. But the way we got back from the moon was we simply fell off of the edge of it and fell back down to the earth. Kind of a ridiculous scenario, but that was the way back. Um, uh, other, uh, other, in other cases, it was going to be the same mechanism with Kepler and his uh, story about going to the moon. His witch mother uh, transports him back to the earth. But I should mention, by the way, though, with Kepler in his uh, uh, story about going to the moon in the 17th century, that once Kepler got to the moon as a scientist and an astronomer, he gave the first really detailed and scientifically plausible description of the geology and uh, 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 layout of the lunar surface. And so it was very scientifically convincing after he did his little mystical trip of getting up there. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, the ways that you got back were as varied as the ways you got there, including just falling off the edge of the moon and plummeting back to the earth. 
<laughs> so so it seems like once we we overcome the price of the ticket we're okay with the trip right we just yeah. enjoy the ride okay <laughs> yeah yeah right 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 yeah but there was uh yeah there was lots of different ways to get there and there were probably more ways in which to get back um uh yeah in, including for example waking up and realizing that it was a dream and we've had oh, okay. stories where you go to the moon and at the end of it you wake up and it was just a dream so there was no problem getting back all you had to do is wake up just wake up okay <laughs> so, so i know i'm gonna go in dangerous territory here and i'm gonna ask you to pick your favorite kid but i'd like you to tell us your list your top top five list of uh moon you know sci-fi pieces of work movie or 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 book or poem uh your top five what your top five favorite of all times moon stories okay And Ram, I have to apologize to you and the viewers. I can't just simply give you five. It's going to be more okay. like 10. Okay? okay. I'll do them quickly. Okay. But uh, I, I thought about the question. I thought, no, I can't just simply do five. Okay. I, I was going to ask you to pick a child. And I know that's one of those horrible okay. questions. No, no, not, not five. Okay. 10 is just okay. as, as but, well. Okay. Uh, for example, I mentioned already. Uh, I think it's an interesting uh, story to read, Kepler's The Dream, which is the one I've been discussing about Kepler being transported to the moon and meeting lunar inhabitants on the moon and his ideas about the surface of the moon uh, as he understood it in the 17th century. It's very fascinating uh, to see how his mind worked and how he thought it out. But that's the first one I would recommend. The second one I'd recommend is by Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, in the 19th century, The Unparalleled Adventure of One Handsful. And it's a story about a, a, a gentleman who goes to the moon in a balloon. And what Edgar Allan Poe does in that story, which is particularly interesting, is that his technological understanding of balloons is amazing. And, and you think of Edgar Allan Poe as spooky, Gothic, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Poe knew a lot of science, and it comes through in his uh, 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 short novel, *The Unparalleled Adventure of One Hands Full*. Uh, so, now, so today I learned to think of him as a scientist. And to, up until now, okay. it was like the crow or things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Edgar Allan Poe really knew science and and, and uh, 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 wrote a lot of scientifically informed stories. Aside from his spooky. Uh, and associations with the dead, and they often mix together science fiction with horror, too. Uh, the third one I'd, I would mention that people will often cite, which is important, is um, uh, Jules Verne's uh, From the Earth to the Moon. And uh, actually, there were two uh, uh, novels, Round the Moon, uh, he wrote right after that. And I mention that because uh, uh, Jules Verne really tried to be scientifically plausible, And that novel inspired lots of later day scientists and astronomers and people in rocketry. The best of the earlier one of the early ones, though, for imagination and power was H.G. Wells, The First Men in the Moon, by far. And uh, I would highly recommend reading that novel, the, the First Men in the Moon, because it's a lot of things all pulled together because Wells was a very complex mind who understood science, he understood 
uh, society, philosophy, lots of good stuff in there. The movie's sort of okay, but the book is much, much better. Uh, but that would be a fourth one, uh, The First Men in the Moon. On the movie side, I would definitely recommend uh, in the silent era, now we're coming into the 20th century, um, Fritz Lang and Thea von Harbo's Woman in the Moon. And uh, that came out in the late 1920s, and it has very realistic cinematography of the surface of the moon. It has a very good storyline. The woman ends up the hero of, of, of the story. It's very moving and emotional through the whole thing. And it's the first movie in which we have the uh, very famous countdown of 10 9 8 7 oh, blast yeah. off that's the it, first it time came it from happened. there okay it came from there in 1929 no no one question it is way before Werner von Braun's rocket actually existed so it was really through imagination right oh yeah but it was a yeah uh, but uh, uh, there were people like i had said earlier uh, uh, the russian scientist tilakowski had laid out the details of how a rocket would work back in the early 20th century, and Goddard was shooting off rockets, small ones, in the 1920s and 30s. So von Braun comes later, but by then we got the bigger ones, the V2s, but people are under, understood rockets back earlier than uh, World War II and uh, or Werner von Braun. Uh, uh, but I would definitely uh, uh, recommend Woman in the Moon is a great movie about the moon. Um, and I had also mentioned Melier's A Trip to the Moon, which is the first science fiction movie ever made. It's, I think, only 12 and 15 minutes long, and you can watch it on YouTube. And it's great. It's very, very funny. Very, very funny. The next one I would mention here, we're jumping ahead a little bit further in time, is uh, perhaps, I, yeah, I would say one of the best. The Moon Era by Jack Williamson, and it's a medium-length science fiction story written in the 1930s about a man who travels to the moon, but as he does so, he goes back in time, and he visits the moon as the moon existed a billion, is that right? A billion or two years ago, when the moon, oh, wow. when the moon was green and alive. And he, oh, wow. Jack Williamson populates it with this incredible assortment of uh, 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 creatures of the moon. And by the way, I should mention, since we didn't bring this in, aside from the fact that people thinking about going to the moon, people also were speculating from very early on of inhabitants on the moon. And just like we thought we can get up there, we also believe when we got there, we were going to find uh, lunar Someone beam. is there, okay. Someone is there. Like, that's what H.G. Wells and the first men of the moon, they do, and Lucian finds uh, beings on the moon as well, too. Um, uh, are, they, are they described somehow? I mean, I know the media movie, yeah, but... Yeah, they're described, they're, they're visualized all kinds of different ways. Like, H.G. Wells envisioned uh, the uh, lunar inhabitants of being like giant ants, selenites, Okay. okay? On the other hand, Lucian imagined them as uh, being uh, a kind of humanoid, uh, and Kepler imagined them as 
diverse, and I'm trying, I can't remember off the top of my head anything more than some of them were very rational and some of them are crazy and chaotic and dark. Uh, but we get all different kinds of creatures living on the moon. Um, and in fact, um, uh, I, I didn't mention it when you were, uh, uh, when I was starting to go through the history there, but even up until the 18th century, people were thinking that there were lunar inhabitants. But let me get back to the best science fiction about the moon. Robert Heinlein, one of the great all-time science fiction writers, wrote some very good stuff about the moon. The Man Who Sold the Moon, Requiem, and what's considered his masterpiece about the moon, The Moon is a Harsh, harsh Mistress. And that one, the last one was written in the 60s. The other ones were written a little bit earlier on. But I would recommend those, too, as really great stories about the moon. Um, a lot of people may be familiar with the fact that uh, the opening, uh, not the opening scenes, but the second set of scenes in the movie 2001 take place on the moon. When they discover oh. the monolith on the moon, well, that piece of the of the movie and the novel was actually a story by Arthur C. Clarke to begin with called The Sentinel of Eternity or The Sentinel. And that's a very interesting story, science fiction story about the moon in and of itself. Um, now, lots of people created lots of schlock stuff in the 19... Uh, 40, not 40s, but 50s and 60s of uh, uh, different kinds of uh, bizarre, nasty creatures on the moon and going there, blah, 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 blah. Well, I remember the Flash Gordon movies. I mean, those are really <laughs> terrible. But <laughs> yeah, Right. Yes, there was there was lots of stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and, and people keep making movies about the moon. Uh, uh, two more recent ones are Moon and Moonfall, both of which I don't think are that great. But coming more up to the present, here's some recommendations of things that I have not read yet that are presumably very good as far as novels about the moon. One of them is Steel Beach, which was written in the 1990s. And the other one is actually a trilogy called Luna, which has just been written in the last 10 years by Ian McDonald. And uh, Ian McDonald is one of the uh, best contemporary science fiction writers. And I'm mentioning it because things that I've read by Ian McDonald have been really great. And so probably Luna, the trilogy, is a very great contemporary uh, uh, take on the moon. So that's my list. It's a little bit more than five, but at least it gives people a kind of feeling for the fact that there's been lots and lots of stories and movies made about going to the moon and inhabitants on the moon. Some of them are good and some of them are not so good, but there's been lots of good ones along the way. Wonderful. So I want to change uh, media a little bit. And yeah. I know when you talk about the moon, it's not uh, all, all bad or all good, but I wonder if you are a Pink Floyd fan and what did you think of Dark Side of the Moon? Well, unequivocally, I'm a Pink Floyd fan. In fact, one of our uh, Thanksgiving uh, or Christmas uh, rituals is to play on our TV the video for The Wall. Um, and uh, uh, as a college student, I grew up on early Pink Floyd. 
But in particular, it's funny that you mentioned Dark Side of the Moon, because up on my desk in front of me, which you can't see because you're seeing behind my desk, I have some of my all-time favorite quotes that I have stuck up here on the desk. And over here on the desk is, and there it is. I just pulled it off of my desk, so this wasn't uh, somehow um, uh, a, a... It wasn't the witch mother. Huh? It was not the witch mother. Witch mother. All that you give, all that you deal, all that you buy, big borrow or steal, all you create, all you destroy, all that you do, all that you say, all that you eat and everyone you meet, all that you slight and everyone you fight, all that is now, all that is gone, all that's to come, and everything under the sun is in tune, but the sun is eclipsed by the moon. And that's from the dark side of the moon. And um, I think yeah, I, 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 my resonance with that quote, the, besides the fact that it's very lyrical, melodic, is that what they are saying in there is even if you were to find a way to pull it all together in your mind and it all seems to be orderly and it all seems to make sense, keep in mind that the moon can eclipse the sun and all of that great illumination and order can be disrupted and obliviated. And there's always something more, something beyond any system of thought you have. And it'd be symbolically represented as the moon. So uh, the, the quote is, um, in a sense, uh, uh, connecting the moon with the fact that um, life can never be completely ordered together because there's always this fluky thing that sometimes will get in the way and obliterate the illumination. Uh, and in this case here, this the moon eclipsing the sun. Uh, so yes, um, I, uh, I have Dark Side of the Moon. I've listened to it plenty of times, but I've listened to lots of other Pink Floyd as well too. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I like the fact that you reminded me about werewolves. I have forgotten about that. So now people, when you go to the Oscars and you slap someone in the face, instead of saying the evil made me do it, you can say the moon made me do it. The moon made me do it. Okay. Now, in case, in, uh, and you may or may not know this, but for years I used to work in mental health and I was a psychologist in mental health and I worked in uh, hospitals for the seriously mentally ill and the chief psychiatrist in the hospital firmly believed that there were many more uh, admissions into the hospital whenever the moon got full. That's, I heard that before, yes. Was it true? <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to go look it up. But he believed it, okay, that the full moon brings out the madness in people. At least that's what he was implying there. But, of course, that's something that um, has... Um, uh, been associated with the uh, 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 horror werewolf uh, 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 types of um, uh, uh, stories and myths. Uh, Jack Williamson, who I mentioned earlier, with the moon era of going back in time to the moon, it was very when it was much uh, uh, earlier in its uh, development and when it was alive. He wrote a very famous, believe it or not. 
science fiction story about werewolves and vampires and giving a scientific explanation for them, a novel called Darker Than You Think. And so if you want to get kind of spooked out in a realistic fashion, Jack Williamson did a very good novel on that. And, um, uh, and what are werewolves? What are vampires? Maybe there's some explanation for them. And maybe they're not just simply folk tales. Maybe there's something really about them that they're really out there and they're in hiding. Be that as it may, just a bit of an aside with Jack Williamson again. By the way, Jack Williamson is one of the best science fiction writers of the of the middle part of the 20th century. Lots of good stuff he wrote. Wonderful. Uh -huh. So I wanted to uh, change gears a little bit yeah. and ask you, what are your favorite hoaxes about the moon? Whether we got there, we didn't get there. So can you name a few that uh, you like the most or the most interesting ones? Well, the one that I mentioned earlier that I'm that that I am aware of um, that, that I had read was uh, the one by Edgar Allan Poe, uh, where um, he writes a story, um, uh, the unparalleled adventure of hand of, uh, uh, and I, I, I always uh, stumble on the title. One hands full. It's a it's a play on words. Okay, about a, about a man who comes back in a balloon and tells everybody he went to the moon. And finally, at the end of the novel, you find out that it was all a big hoax and he didn't really go to the moon. Okay, that one is very famous. But right around the same time, there were actually uh, stories that were written. And um, uh, one of the main newspapers in uh, uh, New York, in which a, a writer for one of the newspapers presumably was uh, uh, conveying information they had gotten from William Herschel, the great astronomer of the uh, 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 19th century, early 19th century, that Herschel had observed forests and inhabitants on the moon. And Herschel actually believed it, but it turned out the whole thing was kind of a big hoax too. So I'm sure that there's other ones. I'm not that aware of any other significant ones, any other hoaxes. You mentioned to me before we started the show that uh, they had put together a, a video, and I uh, was aware they put together something that maybe we never went to the moon or we went to the moon and it was a disaster and everybody died and blah, 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 and all that kind of things. But I'm not aware of any other ones aside from that. Um, yeah, so that was kind of scary. It was uh, very well done. It was done by an MIT lab, and it is yeah. basically uh, it's they took parts of uh, uh, so in the event of a disaster of the Apollo mission, they had some some tapes that you know said well we didn't get there, and then they they did use the AI, and then President Nixon comes out and say you know sorry to tell you, but you know the the, the rocket crash landed, everybody died, blah blah blah. But some yeah. people ho create hoaxes saying uh, we got there, we never did. And uh, people say, well, we did, but then we never did. <laughs> so right, 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 right. Yes, yes. So, yeah, I'm sure that there have been lots of different hoaxes connected with the moon. Well, um, I remember in the 1970s, people were trying to sell uh, moon real estate, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Um, now, I do believe we did get to the moon. And it was rather disappointing that we went into a stall for for uh, quite a, a few decades here. Uh, and even though periodically the interest develops again to go back out there and set something up permanent, uh, we're uh, what 
50 years now after the moon landings, over 50 years, and we haven't really gotten any further than landing there, looking around, getting back in our uh, little uh, uh, capsules and taking back off again and coming back to the Earth. Um, the, um, uh, and in, in my mind, at some point, that's something that we will do, we need to do, and there's good reasons to do. Uh, permanent settlements on the moon. Um, uh, how far out in the future it is, I'm not sure. But in fact, uh, there's uh, good reasons for wanting to do it and it coming to pass. Um, yeah, I, I hear that. So, uh, you know, nowadays we talk about, you know, the use of the moon in a variety of ways. So it is a reservoir of riches for us to plunder, you know, a place for us to live or, you know, or a way to ascertain military might. So I'm curious to hear your opinion. What do you think the moon will be? A mine? Conda Paradise? Uh, a military base? All of the above? None of the above? So what do you think the moon will be? The first thing that the moon will be in my mind is what we have for a long time thought the moon would be. It's a stepping stone. It's the first stepping stone off of the Earth in our journey into outer space. The moon's gravitational pull is significantly less than the Earth. Hence, if we wanted to begin to launch uh, ships out into the uh, near regions of the solar system or beyond, Launching from the moon is a much better place to launch from than launching from the earth. But we got to set things up and we have to create a, um, a reality, a human reality, a technological reality out there on the surface of the moon. I think that secondly, aside from being a stepping stone to further exploration, the moon is a, uh, uh, an important um, safety, um, what would I call it? That's uh, uh, an important safety contingency for humanity. Right now, all of humanity lives on the earth. We all concentrate in one spot. We should spread out even if the first step is just simply spreading out to something that's only a quarter of a million miles away, at least we won't have all of the human population located in one place that could be subjected to some kind of catastrophe. And if it, it was a significant level of catastrophe, that's the end of humanity. We got to get some of humanity distributed out across the solar system. And the first place to go is to go to the moon. Of course, the next place to go would be to go to Mars, which is a much bigger trip and um, uh, much more of a challenge to uh, uh, set something up of significance on Mars. But the moon is a place to spread ourselves out to so that we're not all stuck in one spot in case something really horrendous were to go wrong with the human species and the Earth in the meantime. So that's, that's a second important reason for going there. Um, I'm sure 
that as an integral part of the evolution of the moon, and we're going to evolve it if we go there in ways, is going to be the development of economical technologies to contribute into the resources and development of humanity as a whole. What does the moon possess in the way of raw materials or materials we can use or convert that will be of uh, economic and material physical benefit for humanity? And the moon might, you know, appear dead in the sense there's no biological life, but there's clearly a great deal of geological and chemical complexity up there. And to fuel the development of settlements on the moon, we got to figure out how to mine, make, uh, utilize the kinds of resources that may be up there for us. So in that sense, it will be an economic resource. In fact, moving out into space in general is going to have to somehow be um, cost effective. Uh, like I, I, you, you probably have heard this, and if you haven't heard this, then uh, for the first time, there is more water up on the moons of Jupiter than on the surface of the Earth by far. A lot more water up there. It's frozen, but it's still water. So out there in our solar system, we have a whole variety of very basic resources if we can get out there to, uh, uh, to use them. Uh, the asteroid belt probably contains an immense amount of metals and fundamental materials that we could use for industry and a lot of little rocks to make little settlements on too. So for resources, the moon is a starting point. It's a safety valve. It creates uh, a second um, settlement for humanity. And if things go according to plan, not according to plan, according to history, then the scenario envisioned by Robert Heinlein in The Moon in the Heart is a Harsh Mistress will take place. Once we get a sufficiently complex enough society developed on the moon, they'll try to win their independence away from the earth, which is what happens in The Moon as a Harsh Mistress. It also happens in um, uh, stories about the settlement of Mars, and Mars is the society trying to break off from the earth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we'll begin to distribute out. So those are some things, you know. Um, and I've always thought of space exploration as being very spiritual <coughs> in the sense that we are creatures of the cosmos and uh, this is our nest. This is just our nest. But we live out there. That's, that's our local environment. What we call outer space is what we live in. And we've been just sort of huddled up down here. We haven't had the ability to fly very far off of this nest, but we're developing that. And to me, the exploration of the cosmos is a um, is an awakening will be an awakening for us as we go out and look at the neighborhood. We haven't really—I mean, we've sent lots of probes out, but we haven't really gone out and started to settle the neighborhood. You were mentioning you just moved down the street. You know, yeah. us moving to different planets and, uh, you know, or moving just to the moon, setting up shop there would be a challenge. But I think it's something that is will be elevating for us 
and important for us psychologically as well as economically too. Yeah, so I guess the, it will be like a Greyhound station bus station there. We'll go yes. and then we stop here and then move there or go somewhere else. Right, right, right. Yes, and in fact, you know, um, uh, you were probably going to ask me about Mars. Okay. Yeah, that's gonna. That's where I'm going to go next. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to Mars next, but the way to Mars is go to the Moon first. We set up a base on the Moon, and then we have a much less powerful gravitational sink to shoot off from to head out toward Mars. And of course, there's lots of fascination that we've had with Mars. And in fact, we could do, I don't know if we have a Mars day, but we could actually do a, uh, a special on Mars in science fiction, yeah. because just like with the moon having a long history of speculation and science fiction adventure, Mars clearly has a long history of speculation and, and stories from science fiction, too. Uh, we've envisioned uh, uh, creatures that have lived on the moon. Definitely, we've envisioned lots of different creatures who, have, who live on Mars. Now, as we got closer up to Mars now, it doesn't appear, at least on the surface, that there's anything even close to intelligent life, but it's not totally out of the question whether there might not be life on Mars, even if it's very primitive life. But in science fiction imagination, we've had tons and tons of stories and movies about the Martians and settling Mars, and some of the greatest science fiction novels have been written about terraforming Mars, um, or of Mars invading us, or of civilizations on Mars. Yeah, so uh, uh, even if we have also this fascination with Mars, that it doesn't detract from the fact that the moon is our closest astral neighbor, only a quarter of a million miles away. And our first step into outer space is the moon then the next one will be Mars. And Mars is much bigger and it's more complex and uh, it's, uh, it's significantly further out and we definitely had lots of visions of it throughout our history. Um, uh, and we plan on trying to go there too, you know, obviously. And we keep talking about that as well. So I, I have to find out if there is an International Mars Day and I will come back to you on that one. So I owe you that one. But you, you, you mentioned Mars, so we have somewhat of a new darling in, in social media, in our, in our pop culture, which is Mars. So do you think, what, what's going to be the rule, the rule of the moon in science fiction? Still is going to be that privileged throne in there? Or do you think our, our, our imagination moved away from the moon? And because now we, we got there, we, somebody came back. And so it's not so much science fiction now. Uh, and our science fiction minds go to Mars now. What what do you think is going to be the balance between Mars and Moon going forward, or Jupiter, as you mentioned? Yeah, um, I mean we've known for a long time, even before we got there, that the Moon was desolation, a beautiful desolation, but there wasn't anything really um, a, a, about it in terms of life or intelligence or civilizations. It's a it's a it's a big desolate uh, uh, rock, okay. Um, 
And um, even if um, even if they knew that, we had you know a, a different visions about going there. And even after we knew that, we had visions about going there, and people were imaginative of it. I don't know whether the moon ever really had a lock on our imagination with respect to the exploration of space, any uh, real big lock. It was the closest thing. But we began to imagine early on going to other locations as well, too, Mars being one of them, and, <coughs> excuse me, um, and so the human imagination and how long it would take us to ever catch up to this, the human imagination has explored the universe already through spaceships and wormholes and Star Trek and uh, a million other fantastic imaginative types of vehicles uh, that uh, in, in our speculations, I mean, Tilakowski in the, in the, at the end of the, uh, 20th century was envisioning colonizing the universe. So God knows Mars was nothing. Mars is just a little step along the way. Um, uh, how long would it, I mean, people have calculated out how long would it take you to colonize the Milky Way, you know? Um, and uh, there are estimates you could do it in 100,000 years with self-replicating, uh, 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 self-replicating, um, what I want to call them. Um, the word is slipping my tongue right now. Uh, Are so, they like nanobots or stuff? Yeah, like not nanobots, bigger, bigger. What am I thinking of? Wow. I'm thinking of self replicating uh, uh, machines, uh, probes, self replicating probes. Okay. So we have been in our imagination exploring a lot more than just the moon and Mars when it comes to outer space. Mars, in our imagination, is relatively close. I mean, it's only 30 million miles when it gets up next to us. Uh, we're, we've been imagining getting out of the solar system. How, we're the, how we work that one out is another thing. Or reaching other stars or spreading out across galaxies. You know, we've been, we've been thinking about this for at least 100, 150 years now. Um, so um, uh, I wouldn't ever say that the moon had the throne neither would i say even mars has the throne if anything is the center of our imagination for quite a while it has been if the sky is filled with a trillion trillion stars and a trillion 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 planets how the hell do we get out there and start looking it over? And what kinds of ways can we do that? Um, and uh, that's, that's, if anything, the center of gravity in this whole thing. Um, it would be great for us to settle on Mars. Yes, to, to terraform it, maybe. Although there'll be debates on that one, too. It'd be great to get out to the asteroids. It'd be great to go to the moons of Jupiter, Um uh, a great story about that is the Europa Report, the first mm -hmm. manned uh, uh, ship that lands on Europa. 
and, uh, and the squids eat them alive, right? Yes, yeah, sure, right. You saw that one. Yes, that one, but that was a very good, good, good movie. It was very yes. spooky. Yes, yes, right. Yes, the the illuminate, uh, illuminated squid-like creatures swimming in the oceans of Europa. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, putting the moon and Mars in perspective, the human imagination with respect to space exploration and colonization. It's been, uh, 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 the, the, it's the universe, the Milky Way, our nearest stars, all of that, which is really our, uh, has been our fascination, our center of gravity. You know, Mars is relatively local, or the moon is real local. Yeah. Yeah, it's on the neighborhood. It's so the uh, uh, we are celebrating, you know, you know, so it's the International Moon Day. So this week, Did you do anything special? Are you planning to do anything special, like eating moon cheese or you know watching one of your favorite movies? What are you planning? Uh, well, actually, the last few weeks I watched two newer movies on the moon. One of them called Moon, and one of them called Moonfall. But I would at best give give both of them about a C. If you want to watch them, good, go to it. Maybe you'll like them better than I did, but at, at least I watched a couple of new movies about the moon. Um, do we, uh, maybe to what? Well, I guess we, Jeannie and I, have need to have a toast tonight to the moon. Um, I'll tell you a story though to get non-scientific a, a little bit more. Is once on Halloween when there was a full moon and I was a nomadic creature at the time, not having a place to live. <clears throat> I remember walking to the bus station, heading from Indiana to Massachusetts. And as I'm walking along, I'm looking up in the sky, and there's that bright full moon sort of following me along as I'm walking to the bus station. And I just started staring at it. And if you stare at the moon long enough, the moon starts to look like it's staring back at you. Uh, and I had this very distinct visual hallucination that there was a face in the moon looking out through something like a portal and that the moon, in fact, was an opening through which a face was looking down at the earth. Uh, and I, 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 I'll sort of end on that note because... It was a rather spooky experience, and the face looked like it was moving. Uh, in psychology, there's something called the autokinetic effect. If you look at an object, a solitary light with nothing around it, the object will start to wiggle on you visually because you have no visual frame for it. Sometimes go in a dark room and turn one light on. It'll after a while it'll start wiggling on you. Okay, The moon looked like it was his face was moving, changing. You know, um, uh, so uh, the moon has psychological power, even if it's a rock, even if it's just simply up there orbiting us and 250,000 miles away throughout history, it's had psychological power And the story hasn't been completely written yet. Who knows what will happen in our relationship to the moon um, uh, In, in Albert Rubido's The 20th Century, which he wrote in the 19th century, they realized that the moon was such a romantic and hypnotic object in the sky that the scientists of uh, the future moved it in closer to the earth 
So it projected a bigger image up in the sky and it would be more uh, uh, inducing and uh, romantic for lovers. Uh, so we had a bigger, bigger moon up there in the sky. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's good for lovers, but maybe you're going to have more lunatics going around. Who knows? <laughs> yes, more lunatics going around if it came in closer. Yes, right, right, right. Yes. So anyway, I'm not sure what I'm going to do on uh, uh, celebrating um, um, Moon Day, uh, International Moon Day. But well, well, Jeannie and I will probably think of something. Yeah. Moon Valley is, I guess, a brand of wine. So that's probably not a bad idea. Wine, yes. I don't drink wine too much, Ron. I, I like I like exotic uh, uh, cocktails, yes. Okay, uh, then yeah. find one named Moon. I'm going to have to look find it up. One, yes, look it up. See if there's a Moon cocktail and what they put in it, yes. <laughs> How wonderful. Again, you know, folks, we have so much more to talk about and I have yeah. so many you know, homework here. I have to find out if there's a Mars Day and I have to find out if there's a... Um, Moon cocktail, I have to find out a bunch of things here, but we have to save the yeah. discussion for for another day. You know, Dr. Yeah. Tom Lombardo, thank you so much again for being here with me yeah. and the audience today. And thank you, Ron. Yes, it was a good day to chat about the moon. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, folks, please stay tuned. The show in focus is broadcast via Futures Television, our home of the future television. We broadcast via Roku TV and Apple TV. So this show is available freely via the Roku stick or the Roku enabled TV sets or using your Apple TV box. So uh, look Futures Television up and do add us to your list of preferred channels. Uh, again, thank you so much uh, for uh, being here with me. It's time for us to uh, say our, our final goodbyes. Thank you. Uh, please let us know uh, what is your favorite uh, moon movie or, or book or piece of art. Or if you find a moon theme cocktail, please let Tom and I know. Again, thank you so much uh, for being us uh, with us today. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. And I will leave you with our institutional message. Thank you.